The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Forget none of his benefits. He heals me from all of my diseases. And so that's good news. In the name of Jesus, be healed. He promised to the Israelites that they will trust him. They will not put any of the diseases on them. That they, that they would be going, um, leaving Egypt, going into a new land. I believe and I know that God loves to demonstrate to us that he cares about us. We're looking at a lesson in John's Gospel, chapter 11, and we were, um, we've been going through John. It's a theme that runs throughout from time to time that Jesus asked the question, do you believe or, or so that you may believe, he says, and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One of the sins that stops the flow of the Holy Spirit is unbelief, doubt. And so I just pray that we can, our faith will be encouraged. And not always, the Lord doesn't always answer the way we thought he would answer. And we're going to see that in this lesson. And uh, so... Previous chapter, we were dealing with the subject a little bit of the good shepherd. He is a great shepherd. He is a shepherd that knows his sheep. Do you know that the Lord knows your name today? He knows your name. He knows actually everything about you. He's created you. You are wonderfully created in, by him and for him. And his plans are always the best. His plan is Always the best, though it may not seem like making sense to us at times, but his plans always is the best. He's also interested in the kingdom, his kingdom. He's interested in people, your neighbors. He's interested in the people that you work with. He's interested in the people that you go to school with, that they also can become believers. So now we went through chapter 10, and we Discussed a little bit about the good shepherd. His sheep know his voice. The sheep won't follow a stranger because they don't know his voice. They're not safe with anything else. But we're safe with Jesus. And so today we're going to, we're going to jump in now to uh, John's Gospel 11. A certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her... Uh, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Interesting phrase or portion of Scripture. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So in other words, why do Christians get sick? Some, some years ago, I had a, a, a young man that was struggling with a teaching and if you're really walking with Jesus, you should never get sick. And if you get sick, there's sin in your life. 
I'm trying to, you know, that's that's really not that encouraging. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because Adam sinned, we are in a we have we have been cursed. One of the cursing became the ground grew thorns. Uh, another curse, so to speak, in the early account of Genesis, that the woman would give birth in much labor and pain. Um, in this life, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But be of good cheer, I've overcome. Well, the challenge is because we live in a fallen world, we will have these challenges. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we are are facing pain. Sometimes we're afraid. But the good news is that Jesus comes to yield and resurrect and give new life to those who are cast out. This sickness is not unto death. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but the people, his loved ones, were just getting very distraught. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were, were friends to Jesus. They were, they, were, they were well acquainted. It was a, perhaps one of the Lord's favorite places, one of the most favorite homes to hang out with. But Lazarus has fallen, fallen sick in verse 6. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Now, that don't make sense to us. That didn't make sense to Mary and Martha. But I want to talk, first of all, number one, about divine, I'm going to call it divine delay. I don't know if you've ever heard of divine delay. That's kind of a catchy little phrase. But what it has to do with, God sometimes delays answers or supplying our needs at that moment because he has a a bigger plan in mind. He has a better way planned out. He has a bigger picture in mind because he's not only concerned about your needs, he's concerned about a lot of other people that are looking on and that are going to, we're going to see today that a lot of other people became convinced of who he was because Jesus had been trying to show himself to a disciple that he is the Christ. And yet it seems like the disciples are sort of believing and sort of following. But I'm not so sure they were convinced yet because later in the end of the book, when Jesus was, was crucified, the disciples ran, scattered. They were afraid. They were troubled. They were working it through when Jesus came in spite of their unbelief, in spite of their um, wonderment. And so this story, why did Jesus linger? I want to say it's a divine delay because he had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose to show himself. That's verse 4, sort of pick, you pick up on that clue. This sickness is not under death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified. How often do you pray, do I pray, Oh, Lord, be glorified, right? It's a good prayer. It's, not, it's absolutely okay. Lord, be glorified in all that we do. And some of the ways that he's glorified is that when 
Only God could have done it. There's no other explanation. Does that not glorify God the most? Well, we're going to see here in just a bit. Disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, verse 8. And you're going there. He's going back to where they were just ready to stone him. Throw the stones to put him to death. The, 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 the people of authority and religious positions were upset because he was bringing crowds together. He was doing things that was taking away from their image. In verse 10, but if anyone stumbles or anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He said, and, he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus, notice, has fallen asleep. So what he's saying to them, he's, he's, he's just sleeping. He's not, he's, he's, it's like death is so final. It's it. It's over. But to the believer, the Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first when the day that Jesus comes back for the church. The dead in Christ are going to rise, come back to life out of the ground. And Jesus is speaking to, this, to the people here that this Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. So now the disciples are thinking, well, he's just sleeping. The disciples never said to the Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, he will recover. In other words, why are you bothering? They were not yet getting it. They were not yet understanding. But Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. There it is again. I was told that you may believe, but let us go to him. So now we move from divine delay to what I'm going to say is divine intervention. That the Lord has a plan that is beyond the natural. He's going to do something that only he can do. And he begins to move on his way toward Bethany. Bethany was, verse 18, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Mary was so distraught, she, she didn't want to go anywhere. She wanted to stay where she was. She wanted to just, to just weep. And now Martha's engaged in a conversation. And Jesus says this, Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, that was Martha. Jesus says to her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So the people, Martha, 
understood the day of resurrection, but she wasn't yet understanding there's going to be a resurrection. Now. And so she begins to reason. If you had been here. If only you had been here. Now. That would be a. If I was in the Lord's shoes, thinking the way, way I think, I would feel, I would feel, oh, I've blown it. I've missed it. But Jesus sees past into the future. And he sees past the circumstance. And he's always at work. He's always preparing the way. He's always looking after our best interests. He's always looking after us for the kingdom's sake. He's always looking after us because he understands what we need more than you and I understand what we need. They were thinking of now, the present. He would still be here, Jesus, if you had shown up. Now we're going to move on to the exciting part. That the Lord, and we skip down, by this time, Mary was coming to Jesus, verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, there she goes with the same thing, if you would have been here. My brother would not have died. Notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't try to defend himself, try to make an argument. He doesn't say, well, you know, I had to do what I had to do. He doesn't go into any of that. He basically listens to her heart. I want you to see this because this is, this is sometimes that we can overlook. When therefore uh, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her, this whole, this whole room, this whole gathering, they're all weeping. He didn't, he didn't say, stop crying. He didn't say that. He let himself grieve. He let himself begin to feel their pain. He let himself begin to be moved with compassion. And we know the one verse all of us can remember and memorize is Jesus wept. Just think about that picture. Everyone's weeping. It's a sad moment. It's a tough moment. Let me say this. One of the things that sometimes when we don't know what to say when someone's hurting is to say nothing and love on them, hug on them, cry with them. Because chances are they won't remember what you said in their moment anyway. I believe that we serve a Lord that understands our pain so much to the degree that he also weeps with those who weeps. He cries with those who are crying. He doesn't go in there with pride and say, well, let me just show you this and bang, Lazarus back to life. He just doesn't move that way. 
He takes the time to invest in people's lives. He takes them where they're at. He moves into where they're at. And he reasons with them. Let me say this. God is always, I believe the Holy Spirit is reasonable. What do you mean by that? That he is able to help us understand circumstance or at least help us to have a peace in the midst of a, of a confused moment of life. You see, they, they were all convinced if you would have been here, if you would have been, if you would have just been here, Lazarus would never have died. And you have to appreciate that kind of faith. But look, look at what happens. So the Jews were saying, behold how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, come to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by uh, this time there will be a stench. And in the natural, she was right. Lazarus was more than he was dead. There was no doubt. There was no question. Jesus delayed his coming. Because there's no question. There's going to be no question that he was dead. Well, some would probably want to make up a story. Well, he wasn't really dead. He, he was already he was just playing it. Now, now, Jesus begins to give instruction. He says to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Can't you just visualize for the moment, just try to envision for a moment. Here we are at the tomb. And Jesus is telling them what they need to do. Take away the stone. What do you what do you mean, Lord? Are you are you really serious? And so they didn't argue, they didn't go into debate. And so the stone was removed, and he raises his eyes. Jesus looks to heaven and says, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me. I and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said, I said it, that they may believe that thou descended. He just, he just talks to the Father. Because he's concerned about these people that are watching, that are looking on. And then he says, and he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound, hand and foot. I can just imagine him walking, trying to walk like this. Wrapped around all the wrappings of the, of the burial, all the wrap. 
and the people there standing with their mouths open. A lot of them probably falling to their face before God and crying out to God in heaven. And he comes forth bound hand and foot, and now Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. Interesting, wonderful story of delivery, of miraculous healing. And Jesus involves the people in the process of the healing. That Jesus allows the stone to be rolled. He could have said, be gone. He could have just spoke. That stone could have been gone. He could have spoken and the wrappings could have been gone. But Jesus chooses you and I to be a vessel in his hand to use. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for people who understand how to fix things. It's all in the heart of God. He uses all his people, all the gifts to flow together that we might glorify him. Some of you have been tested. This was a test. Some of you are being tested. And we're we're saying, oh, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm passing the test. I prayed that, lady, Lord, I'm not so sure if I'm doing that well with this test. Help me, Jesus. Help me to, help me to believe you. Help me to trust in you. And so what we need when, when crisis hits is that we need a word from the Lord. We need his presence. We need to know that he's with us. If nothing changes, we need to know that God's present because without his presence, we begin to really have nothing, nothing, nothing to set a stand on. And so his presence. Remember Moses? Remember when he was upset over the calf that the people made when he was on the mountain receiving the commandments? He comes back to find them in this sinful thing that they were doing. And he went on to pray. As he was upset, he began to pray, Oh, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't lead us up from this place. In other words, help me, Lord, to have your presence. Help me to sense that you are in the midst. The psalmist cried, O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Thou know when I sit down, when I rise up. God knows everything all the time, every thought, every struggle, every pain, every uh, setback in your life. God, our Lord Jesus Christ, understands pain. He was despised. The prophet Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. He wasn't a stranger to the sheep. He was a shepherd. Because the shepherd laid down his life. The real shepherd puts himself on the line. Puts himself in danger. Was not afraid to go back to the Bethany where he was almost stoned to death before. He said it earlier in the chapter. Well, 
Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because he is the light is. What is he saying? The father of light. The father, his father, his heavenly father was leading him. He would commune with the father and the father would say, yes, do this. Yes, don't do that. Go this way. I want to encourage you. It's okay not to have all the answers in life. It's okay not sometimes to know exactly what God is doing. And how he's going to do it. They had no clue. They had no clue what the Lord was up to. They had no clue that he was going to demonstrate, bring Lazarus back to to life. The next chapter, he's feeding with the family. Our Lord is good. You are on his heart today. You are on his heart today. He cares when you are struggling. He cares. The Bible says that he is a high priest. What does that mean? In order to for the priests in the Old Testament, they would have to um, take care of the sins of their own sin. They go before the presence in the inner room of the sanctuary, and they would bring their sacrifice, bring their sins before the Lord. They were then cleansed, and then they would begin to confess the sins of the people. It was a big or it was a it was a drawn out thing. And you and I today can come at any moment, any time, day or night, and pour out our heart to the Lord. Yeah, I believe that the Lord sometimes allows us to be broken so that we can become more teachable, so we can learn a part of our God himself a portion of our Lord himself that Paul described, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I don't like suffering. But if it means I might grow in the grace, God will be with us even in my suffering. How much does the Lord love you? He wants to show himself over and over and over to you. And when he wept, it was not just a turn on the faucet sort of a thing, but he was deeply, he said he was deeply moved, deeply moved. He, he bawled, he wailed. And, and then they said, oh, he must have really loved him. You know, he did, and he does. I want you and I to become familiar with the presence of Jesus. I want us to become familiar. I want us to be hungry for his presence. 
in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. There's a whole lot of stuff in our world. Amen. There's a whole lot of stuff in our world that will kind of sort of temporarily fix our pain. But oh, when we have Jesus, when we have him and he has us, that there is a place that is beside us, that is a place that inside of us rather than only God himself can and should be seated upon it. That is in your innermost being, that in the depth of your heart, that is where God wants to be enthroned. And he said, I know your name, I know your thought, I know your heart. And I just want you to come just as you are. I don't want you to pretend to have some kind of, when you're down, you're down. Don't try to cover it up. Just acknowledge it to me. Just acknowledge it. He says, cast your, his, your cares upon him, for he cares for you. This song that I'm going to want us to sing at the end came to me yesterday while I was preparing. And to that song, one of those songs that I, you know, growing up in the church, I learned a lot of the hymns. And this one always, always did touch me. But for some reason, I think the Lord brought this song. Maybe it's just for me, but I, I have a feeling there are some other people that can relate to the words of, I must tell Jesus. Anyone know that song? No. Oh, that's great. Here's how it goes. Here's how the words, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. Can you relate to that? In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus. 